This episode of the St. Paul Filmcast is dedicated to the Glenn Think Stuff Podcast, a podcast where your host Glenn tells stories, touches on a variety of topics, and makes you laugh the whole way. You can find him on iTunes and on Twitter at Glenn Think Stuff. And now we're on to Godfather Part 2. <laughs> For another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast, and I'm with Dan this time. He actually finally came back. That's we're, right. We're going to continue the saga for the Godfather <laughs> series. It's glad to be here. So the, what took so long is the amount of homework you've been doing, right? Yeah, that's right. pretty much it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, 50, 52-year-old graduate. And it, there's an important so. thing I wanted to cover that we didn't cover in Godfather because a lot of people have been asking, um, why didn't you cover the dead horse thing? Why right. did we cover it? Well, it's because you're kind of beating a dead, dead horse. horse. Right. <laughs> it's been covered and everything. And nice people, one. Everybody's yeah. been talking about it. Everybody knows about it. It's yeah. actually a real horse's head. And the other thing I want to mention that what we didn't really cover, and there's two aspects of the original Godfather, is the one aspect we never really covered the basis of um, Michael's first wife. That's true. And yes. That's pitiful, uh, Apollonia. Apollonia. She becomes a pitiful role in the part two, even though she's not in it. And then the other character we didn't really cover it was Mo Green. Right, where he's a uh, who who was based on Bugsy Siegel, yeah, it's from kind of, Las Vegas. Yep, yeah, yeah, right. it's kind of a, a powerhouse play kind of yep. guy that built himself up. But he gets reference in this movie. Yes, he does. And so does Apollonia get reference in this movie. Yeah, both the of thing. them do. Yeah. So when we talk about Godfather Two, and even though we didn't cover him very much in the other one. Um, it's, we know about them. We just yeah. did time constraints and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, they're they're very important, you know, characters in the canon, you know, uh, and we don't want to, you know, push them aside. Right. But you know, it's it's a good thing that we brought them up. Um, <laughs> right now, I know you got a lot of, but the other two, um, somebody pointed out to me, I'd never noticed before, but after the restaurant shooting in Godfather One of Michael, mm-hmm. and when he drops a gun, drops the gun, you can actually see he bumps the camera. Did you ever notice this? No, I didn't. You have to go back and look at it if you can find the scene. He actually walks away, he bumps it, and it shakes the now, camera. No, this came from one of our listeners? Yeah. That is fantastic. Like, no, I have never, never I did not see that before. <laughs> you never noticed that either. Yeah, right. Thank you, sir or madam, whoever brought that up. I, I really have to take a look at that. Um, wow. The other thing I want to talk about is um, both these pictures won Best Picture. Yes, they did. It was the... Uh, 72 and 74. It was the first sequel that uh, won Best Picture. This the, one we're talking yeah, about. This yeah, this one here, Godfather Part Two, And this, the second sequel was, uh, well, it would have been Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's like a third part, but yeah, yes, we're not that's technical. Um, in between Godfather 1 and Godfather 2, there's a great movie that won Best Picture. It was Sting. Yes. Um, eventually we'll get to that one. But oh, th- we're going to do that it's one. It's sandwiched between the two Godfather right. movies. We're definitely going to do that one. Yeah. yeah. And so um, other than that, um, I just want to talk about this is actually a rippling effect of the new Hollywood that's taking place in around this time of 72 and actually getting validations. Yes. So I would say kind of like French Connections, part of the new Hollywood. And it started in the late 60s with yep. Bonnie Clyde, um, The Graduate, and you got these with new directors. Arthur Penn, uh, Spielberg, Nichols. Coppola, Friedkin, yeah. 
Uh, it is. It's a time of the Wunderkin, yeah. you know, and uh, I was going to um, touch on that. And it's true. And yeah. it really pretty much, you know, started with Godfather. Part it's kind of funny. I just The only reason I want to bring it up, and maybe we'll cover the new Hollywood when we do one of the movies from the late 60s. But the sting is kind of a real hold on to the old Hollywood. Yes, it is. And sandwiched between kind of these nostalgia pieces. And I was talking to Tom yep. about um, Sting is actually not part of the new Hollywood. It's kind of a holding on to the old way of doing things and a glorification and nostalgia of allegory of the of making old movies. Yeah. And these two ones in between are representation of the new Hollywood taking over. Yeah, of the new of the new fresh blood that's coming in through right. you know as the directors. Okay, so Godfather one big success. Yep. Huge after the success of the Godfather, it was a huge success. There was a green light given for Godfather Part Two. Yeah, so Paramount's like we knew this all along. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And, and we so, wanted to make more money, so make another one. So yeah, and shooting began October first, seventy three. And at the beginning of the project, Coppola had a complete mindset on how the film would be made. Okay. And after the success of Godfather, Paramount got out of his way. There was like, hey, you obviously know what you're doing. We're just going to leave you alone. A little less, less resistance and more money. Exactly. The okay. same thing, you know, sometimes that's great, and sometimes it can be a disaster. Hence, Michael Cimino with uh, Deer Hunter, then afterwards, Heaven's Gate. Yeah. You know, let's tank a studio. But uh, uh, this was, like like you said before, this really was the start of the new breed of director. Okay. You know, uh, like Scorsese and Spielberg and Friedkin. Um, and later, uh, unfortunately, Cimino, too. Uh, they uh, refused to be tools of the major studio. Okay. I mean, they were uh, they wanted to be accepted as artists in their own right, and their vision was everything. So, actually, a fantastic uh, time for cinema. I think the seventies. Um, Coppola, of course, was over the moon with the success of Godfather. Right, I think it validated his anxieties over it. Yeah, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's true. Right. But being a temperamental artist uh, with a vision, he wasn't completely happy with the end result. Uh, he no. believed in a sense that he failed, that uh, he uh, he failed to convey the audience of how evil Michael was, you know. Well, you know, artists are never, I mean, Picasso yeah. used to buy back his own artwork and rework them. I never <laughs> knew that. Yeah, he used to do them. He did it like about 10 times. He used well, to buy his pa- paintings back from other people and redo them. And... It's, it's true. Sometimes you are your own worst critic. Right, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, um, you know, not only that, but, you know, he, he was, you know, the thing is, is that, yeah, it was a success, you know. Um, I mean, he here he is. He's finished a film, a uh, raw story about an American crime family, and he's getting fan mail uh, from the public, you know, who looked upon the Corleone family as heroes and underdogs. Not only that, he's getting he's getting fan mail from the, the mafia themselves. I mean, we're talking capos and uh, dons and button men saying, hey, you know. Good job. Yes, good job. You're putting this in a great, <laughs> not, great yeah. light. Not, you're going to be dead in the morning? Good yeah. job. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, they're, you're telling a story about us with the grandeur of an opera. <laughs> they, they loved it. You know, in the meantime, he's pounding his head against the wall saying, hey, the, you love it. Okay, thank you. But you really didn't get it. You know, well, I, the, I, this one, I don't, this one, first one definitely is about family and transition. Yes. I would say the second one, this one's more about America than really yes. more about family. This he, is American one. It's true. He, he invokes more of what was going on at the time, even though it was set in the 50s with Watergate and the yeah. corruption uh, and uh, just kind of the loss of values. 
Uh, he wanted to touch and There's on a little that. more sense of dread. I mean, even though yes, you start, this one, you start with a uh, first one, start with a wedding. This one actually starts with a funeral. Yeah. <laughs> so you get right now that it's not going to be a, a joyful experience. That's, that's true. You know, and. Uh, All right. But the thing is, if you think about it, only Coppola could feel that he failed and succeeded at the same time. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if you look at the. Uh, if you look at. The Godfather, he did try to lay out the groundwork of trying to make Michael Corleone evil, you know. I mean, yeah, I, it's up to, well, up to the time, Michael was pretty much a steward for the family with his yeah. father, you know, in transition in retirement and then Vito's untimely death. Um, now we have the explanation of the title of the film at play. I mean, he is the Godfather. Michael's sister Connie asked Michael uh, to be Godfather to, Car- uh, to Connie's and Carlo's little boy. Okay. Now, Godfather, yeah, the the name isn't just a nickname, you know, and in the church it means you're a spiritual patriarch of an individual to guide this person in faith. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, the first duty of a Godfather is to be with the child at their, you know, spiritual awakening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a sponsored witness. So now we all know what happened, and personally I believe the filming of the baby's baptism Intercut with the assassination scenes of the five families. Right, everybody knows that. You yeah, know, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And I, you have, you probably have to watch it for a film school. I did. Yeah, <laughs> contradictions and way of cutting and editing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's Michael. He's in a house of God, speaking on behalf of an innocent child, and renouncing all. Yep, yeah, that he denounces Satan and all his works and all his empty promises, while he orders the murder of the heads of the five families and basically anyone guilty or innocent that might get in his way. You know, and it's a cinematic mix of the sacred and the profane. And, yes, very uh, much so. Symbolically, um, uh, what he was trying to symbolically, yeah. what he was trying to convey was, yeah. uh, you know, the uh, that he basically the. you know, he's that he's mocking God in his own house, you know, and with that sense, you know, he's basically become a lost soul. And later when he knows all of the leaders of the five families. Well, this plays a part in part three. This is, yes, it does. You're kind of setting the groundwork for part three. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's a very important part of the story as a whole yeah. is the kind of the the element of faith. Yeah. And yeah. the element of Michael's soul. Right. And, um, and the groundwork is laid at the end of Godfather 1. And Coppola thought, well, I have my own ending. Everyone will know that Michael's transition is complete. In the beginning, he was an innocent. Now he's tangled up in the family business, and in, you know, and uh, you know he's committing murder. So, you know, and you know he he committed murder and he's mocked God. So my they're going to understand he's evil, and you don't you don't get that at the end of Godfather. You don't, and no, the, not necessarily evil, but second one is definitely yeah the elevated the, escalated. That's true. The, and the problem is twofold. The The symbolism of Michael's evil is way too subtle, yep. is one. And the other reason is that, it, well, it lies with the original story of Mario Puzo's. Uh, for most of the story, the Corleones are the underdogs. No, I don't mean Mar, um, Mario's written. He's also written this part too, right? He's yes, he with, did. He's part of this as well. Yes, he is. Okay. And, uh, you know, the... Uh, the Godfather is, you know, because in the original book, you know, he's hit with five shots and he's convalescing for most of the movie, you know. And right. they're on the run 
and all the five families are ganging up on them. And Luca Brazzi dies, Sonny dies, Michael is in exile. And, you know, pretty much we as viewers have nothing but sympathy for Michael and the family. So when the order is given to assassinate the heads of the five families, our alignment is not like the angel on his shoulder saying, yeah, murder is a sin. (laughs) You know, you're going to lose your soul. You know, we're like, no way. We're cheering. We're all in. We're rooting for Michael. Get those What is the weird, the play about the whole scene is that we're actually uh, giving credence, we're actually cheering him on and, yeah. Oh, good job. Yeah, you're getting rid of the what we assume is worse than him. Because we we've been we've been conditioned for that for the past two hours. You yeah. know, we care about these characters, and you know the thing is is that it's very difficult to look at the God the Father from a kind of a philosophical theological perspective, unless yeah. you've seen it maybe about ten or twenty times. <laughs> you know, uh, so alas, Coppola thought he failed. You know, so on the second. Godfather, and I am going to eventually talk about Godfather 2. Okay. <laughs> you know, Coppola's plan was different. You know, uh, Paramount asked Coppola to direct, and Coppola agreed on two conditions. Right. I have complete control of the film, is one. And the second was, I totally destroy Michael Corleone. I totally destroy him. And that's what he wanted to do. Um. So. What what about the okay? We can carry on, but was it really references of playing like three different narratives at once? Uh for the for the second film, yeah. <laughs> well, it was very confusing. It was, uh, you know, he um, he what he wanted to do is he wanted to uh, create a prequel and a sequel at the same time. Yes, yes, and. Uh, he, he basically said he, he always fancied to make a film with a father and a son and represent both stories where the characters are at the same age, you know, and he did this with Vito and Michael, right? you know, and and so he had this, you know, presentation. Okay. And I don't think that the audience really appreciated it at the time or was expecting that. And, you know, that was that was kind of a, whoa, what's happening? Well, yeah, the whole point of you, you getting the old and the new, but it's cut very well. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get Vito as a kid and the whole reference of him coming to America and all that stuff. We will get into it. I don't mean yeah. we'll get into it, but so. Oh, that's that's true. And yeah. you know, and the getting back to what his um intention was, he just didn't want to destroy I mean, he really wanted to eviscerate Michael. Uh, what he wasn't able to do, uh, able to convey, you know, in the last 20 minutes of the first film, he really wanted to show his character warts and all. You know, and because of him, he and his family fall deeper into depravity, you know. And so um, to and he wanted to do this where uh, Vito, his story is, you know, he is on the rise and he's thriving where Michael is, you know, um, on the ropes and the family is totally disintegrating. So the story of Vito in yeah. Corleone, Sicily, and coming to America and raising a family in Little Italy was right out of the book. That that just came right out of the book. Uh, yeah, yeah, the whole funeral pro- uh, procession that yep. his father was killed for disrespecting the— Oh, uh, the yeah, and then there was a vendetta, then yeah. a vendetta upon a vendetta. And then we find out his real true name. Yep, Andolini. Um, Andolini. Yep. And then you have this whole uh, little boy coming to America unescorted. So yes. Like, unescorted. <laughs> And then he gets quarantined. But if you look very carefully, one of the most interesting shots in the movie is the ship passing the Statue of Liberty. And you see the head of the ship, like, that's mast, yes. which is a long spike 
almost stabbing through the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> and one of the interesting yes. aspects, it, one of the interesting aspects is throughout Beatles uh, in the movie, the Statue of Liberty, as a metaphor, becomes smaller. Yeah, and smaller. smaller. And to the point that he just gives it off as a gift to somebody that means nothing to him. Right. <laughs> that is beautiful. That is pure Coppola. Yeah. 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 And that is true. That and it's is... something that you need to pay attention to that the ship almost looks like it's going right, it's stabbing right through the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a beautiful scene too. It's you know it's just gorgeous. The uh, um, and with... oh, I, I mean, but there's another aspect of him looking at the Statue of Liberty reflection of the mirror and all, yeah. giving homage to a point where now he's becoming dominant over it. So yeah, that's yeah, and Coppola works that out beautifully. Okay, and, yeah. on to the notes. <laughs> well, the the new story with Michael's failed assassination and him hot on the heels of the perpetrators yeah. was pretty much Coppola and Puzo. You know, they were they both collaborated. Now they're collaborating. They're actually getting together and collaborating. Yes, and here's his big notebook. You know, he brought his same notebook, <laughs> like Godfather, and, and, and so this is ready and it comes into play. And at first, the filming nearly ended before it even began. Uh, well, Al, okay. Al Pacino didn't like the way Michael was written, and he had misgivings with the script, and he sent one of his lawyers to Coppola saying he wasn't coming. You know, Al? <laughs> yes. I mean, can you believe that? <laughs> Coppola spent an entire night rewriting, just a night of cramming, if you will, before giving in to Pacino for a review. <laughs> so... Uh, well, he read it. He, you know, Pacino finally did approve, and the production went forward. But uh, so there's there's a little <laughs> bit of okay. Yeah, you're not, not, uh, you gonna find out when we talk about Godfather. Nothing is yeah. happening smoothly ever. It it never can. No, no that's by its nature. Um, Coppola's mainframe of the story was to show Vito's rise. Yes. you know, and uh, Michael's fall. And in the Notebook, Coppola had written the fall of Michael Corleone. And most of the cast reunited. Coppola, now this is inter- Coppola was very interested in getting James Cagney to play Hyman Roth. Okay. So just think of the dynamic of the film if Cagney would have played that part well, rather than Lee Strasberg. Right, because he's known to do these juvenile gangster movies yes. and not a family gangster movie. These juvenile kids are almost like kids, in a, oh, I got a gun, look at this, fire this, and try it out. And almost juvenile criminal. Yep. And then you're doing the sophisticated, it would kind of be a nice. You know, elderly James Cagney that everybody grew up and watching. That's that's true. Instead, uh, he gets uh, Lee Strasberg. He gets Lee Strasberg, and Cagney actually um, goes to Milo Forman's uh, Milo Forman's uh, Ragtime, and has a part in that film. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, and then I think I mentioned before, if you haven't listened to, um, Lee Strasberg had a uh, acting school which Marlon Brando attended. Yes, that's right. In New York City. So. Yep. And uh, which is kind of. You know, I know Francis very much an actor, his director. He li- gives a lot of play. It's not mm-hmm. really set in stone what we no. need to do. And it's very getting loose. another acting, when you get Lee Strasberg, you're getting another acting coach to come on. That's true. And the nice thing is about Al Pacino starting his career, he's surrounded by wonderful actors. <laughs> he is. <laughs> oh, and, and if you look at it, all the Godfather films, there's always that one pivotal actor. And the first one, of course, it was Brando. Second yeah. one, you have Lee Strasberg. The third yeah. one, you have Eli Wallach. You know, there's always this older supporting patriarch. role character. Yeah, yep. supporting role character. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about parts. Uh, it's when you're talking about Godfather Part Two, it's very important. 
Um, it may not th- seem like a very important uh, part, but it is pivotal, and it deals with Richard Castellano, who played Clemenza. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. And Richard Castellano was slated to play Peter Clemenza again, but he uh, he refused. Uh, Castellano wanted to write his own material, and Coppola said, no way! <laughs> so he left. Okay. Uh, Castellano didn't think this would happen because Clemenza's character was such a pivotal role in in the Hyman Roth part of the sequel. And it, uh, let's just call it story number two. And it yeah. really was. And and I'll, I'll explain that. It, he's basically the straw that stirs the drink. Uh, Coppola said, I'll just, well, you know, I don't care. I'll just write a new character and keep all of Clemenza's lines. And so, pretty much, that's how Frank Pentangeli, Frankie Five really? Angels, yep, okay. was born. All right. And Coppola said, yeah, sure, why right. not? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, now, Michael Gatto does a fantastic job as uh, Frank Pentangeli. I right, mean, yeah. He's brilliant, and one of my favorite characters to the Godfather canon. But I'm, I'm sorry to say that the stories... Because when you're dealing with Godfather 2, you're dealing, like I said, with two stories. Running three parallels and contrasting each other, right? Rise, rising, fall, and all that. So. Yeah, it's like Copa just loves to work, man. <laughs> well, the nice, oh, I, don't, I don't know if you're going to get to it, but uh, the whole meeting of the senator in Corleone's office. Yes. If you look at it visually, it's very much contrasting. You see the senator sitting in a dark corner, yes. very unlit, very yep. speaking oily. And then you see Michael in a very blue very bright environment, yep. saying this is the way things are going to be. Yes, and Senator Senator Geary. Yeah. yeah, you can see wonderfully uh, contrasts and juxtapositions are heavy in this movie. He is so communicative with shadowing I Coppola. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, no, I got to see that again. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, uh, but you know the with Clemenza, um, uh, I think that if. Castellano would have said yes, it would have been such a better film. I mean, it's a great film, right. but it would have flowed. It's not necessarily, I agree, not necessarily an upgrade. Yes, it yeah. would have, God, it would have flowed. It's kind of like a lateral move. Yeah, it would have flowed much better. I mean, the, the character is so important with the relationship with Vito in story one. And it's, you know, and with Michael in story two. I mean, Watch Godfather 2. Watch yeah, it and definitely. forget that you ever heard Frank Pantangeli. <laughs> I mean, think Clemenza. Yeah. Suspend your disbelief and pretend Castellano is saying Gatto's words. Because originally, those are Clemenza's lines. So, now, notice the intercut at the play with young Vito's relationship with a young Clemenza played by Bruno Kirby. And this is the play where in the background you see the Statue of Liberty. That's right. You see the Statue of Liberty for the second time. You see it like three times in that film. Yeah. And Michael's relationship with older Clemenza falling apart. It is a smoother, more poignant film. I mean, it flashes everything, fleshes everything out so beautifully. It's just so great. Um, The other thing I was going to mention is with... um, Robert De Niro finally getting into the movie after he auditioned for the first one for every part. That's right. And uh, Coppola liked him. This is finally uh, kind of all right, kid. We, we you can put you, we'll put you in the movie. And he speaks full Sicilian throughout the whole. Movie. He oh, and he does such a brilliant job. Yeah. He is. It was one of my first introductions to De Niro, and man, he really shows the chops in this film. Now, another aspect is De Niro didn't really act like Martin Brando. He did his own really take, but he does have yeah. the voice and everything, which he, I feel is, is nice. And he know. and he could do that because he's he's a younger character, and so he um, he can convey him as this kind of quiet, yeah. shy, 
um, brilliant mind that keeps to himself. Now, in an interview, uh, Robert De Niro said that he heard around New York uh, in the, in, from kids and other stuff that older hitmen used to do towels to muff mm-hmm. the sounds and that he used that in the movie. Oh, with the assassination of Fenucci? Yeah, it wasn't oh. Coppola's idea, but it was Robert De Niro's idea. Because I heard old people assassinate used to do rap a towel to quiet the noise of a gun. And they use that definitely in the movie, which is a great shot. Oh, it is a beautiful shot. Unfortunately, it'll also catch fire. So we can find Well, it's we the Dancing it's... of Light, right? Yeah. Um, oh, it, when Fenucci, yeah. It's also a transfer of light where the light for him is not working. And then when he executes the old Don, now it's starting. The fire is starting for him. It's a very it is. much a better quote. And there's Coppola again yeah. communicating with shadows. And, and he visual, does yeah. he does such a great job. And you see him in the corner, you know, with assassination gun at the ready. And you see him just flash on and off, on and off. So it's like almost it's twinkling for him. His light is going out. Yes. And then the fire is supposed to mean that Vito's is starting. And that's yeah, it's beautiful. It's, <laughs> it's just beautiful. Uh, and the last film, like we talked about this, uh, with many has many themes. Yeah. I mean, it was it dealt with family, honor, and heritage. And in Coppola's notes, Coppola just uh, wrote alienation. That's what he wanted for Godfather Two for the second story. Okay, I mean. Uh, Coppola didn't want any hint of heritage, and if and there is none. I mean, there's none to be found. If you look at Michael's son Anthony's Holy Communion party, which mimics Connie's wedding in the first film, there's no jubilation. Really. There is a, there's hardly any jubilation. There's no Italian music. It's for a subtraction the of I think to demonstrate the subtraction of Vito. It is, and uh, there is a there's a tango, and there's two dancers, and while it's Latin, it's not Italian. It's it's uh, Spanish. We've yeah. got the Vienna Boys Choir, which is yeah. far removed from Italy. Different tone. Definitely. Yeah. I got, even Frank Pantangeli gets so upset. He tries to, you know, he tries to find at least one Italian in the orchestra where he can't. He, <laughs> he tries to rouse them to play a Tarantella. I mean, they're musicians, so they, they should at least know a Tarantella. <laughs> and yeah. they fail miserably. It turns into Pop Goes the Weasel, <laughs> you know, and he, he, you know, and so he gets frustrated. He takes off. The audience laugh at him, signifying that they're probably not Italian. So, you know, when Godfather won, uh, a good point of view with both scenes too between Connie's wedding and yep. then um, um, the uh, Holy Communion Godfather yep. 1 and Godfather 2 is in Godfather 1 the requests you know they're asked with respect in the presence of Vito say for yep. maybe Bonacera yep. you know and even he you know asks for friendship and kisses his hand in Godfather 2 there's no respect at all. I mean, Senator Geary, right off the bat, insults, extorts, and threatens Michael. In a dark room. In a in dark, dark room. In, in a dark, dark room. room. In the dark corner. Yes. Yeah. E- even though Michael knows how it's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and that's true. And, uh, you know, Connie has nothing but contempt for him. And Frankie, yeah. you know, Frank Pantanzoli doesn't ask or, requ- you know, requ- for a request. And I don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if you're going to touch about Kay. Yeah. has disregard and just. Oh, yeah. She fully knows that. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, you know, she was told that the um, Corleone family were going to be completely legitimate, that it's obvious hasn't happened, yeah. you know, and he'll just kind of do lip service to her. Well, okay, I'm trying, hey, I know. you know, yeah, yeah. and it says he's on, you know, autopilot. He could care less, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's good. I never thought, yeah, he's pretty much on autopilot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, Kay, you yeah. know, you're the wife, you know, make me another kid. Come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
you know. Um, <laughs> it's and, and it's kind of sad, but you know, um, there was the film hardly started, and you know, it's already communicating that there's hardly any respect for Michael. You know, the way that they're acting towards him. You know, they either hate him or they're pushing him around. The only thing that really has any um, respect for him is Hyman Roth. It's Hyman Roth. That's yeah, the only one. But he, his future doesn't really. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't really have much. All right. Yeah. And a big influence Coppola had with the script, like we were talking about, was what was happening in the here and now with Watergate, you know. And Yes. Uh, and there's a reflection. There's actually a scene that looks very much like a hearing. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, uh, I think that when people saw it, they really didn't know what to make of it. You know, they weren't. They were expecting the same Godfather from Godfather One, and these are characters yeah. we're going to, we're going to love and cheer for. And if you're going to eviscerate, you know, eviscerate a character like uh, Coppola does with Michael, it's very difficult to do that. You know, um, it's a depressing film. Uh, you know, but um, it, it, and it's hard to get around because of that. And it's, uh, I would say, it's why is it an American film? It's not so much family, and obviously, but it's about legitimacy. Um, how do you handle, you know, your friction with governments? Um, yeah, handling business and operating more like a CEO than head of a family. And you know, constantly negotiating. That's true. And try, try to keep the paranoia down to a minimum. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is very difficult if somebody's assassinating you through a window. And so. Michael is always referenced about the movie that about his dad. It's always yes. it's almost to an irritant for him. Okay, yeah, my dad's gone. Yeah, uh, I'm. You know, that's true. And he, what needles at him is and this is a good question for the film how were you so loved and I was so feared how were you so respected and I was so hated right and with that uh it's very simple if you see it every time that Vito says you know asks for something it's always to the person's benefit hey you know this widow wants to keep her dog you know and lower the rent well i tell you what i'll pay for the widow's <laughs> you know i'll pay for the widow's yeah. dog and you know here's three months rent in advance you know <laughs> it's for his advantage yep. you know yep. and this happens time and time again and if you deny that it's like okay i'm gonna bring out the guns <laughs> you know all right, uh, we're going to take a little break from here. Uh, we're going to run some ads here. Um, did you ever want a golden telephone? I really wanted a golden telephone <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> did, yes, did, and a big piece of the cake, too. <laughs> big, you would ever want a golden cake, too? That's right. Uh, I want to talk a little and we got break. I want to take a little bit about the Cuban stuff that's in the movie. But, um, but no we, cigar. No cigar after these messages. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye, Blackbird. The last words spoken by bank robber John Dillinger or were they? Here at Famous Last Words, we take a deeper look into the last thing famous or infamous people said in their final moments. You may know about the quotes, but now you'll understand what it really meant. Was it heartfelt, passionate, philosophical, or was it complete nonsense? Find us on Twitter at Last Words Show. Find our show on Podbean, Wooshka, and Anchor. Plus, wherever your ears enjoy podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Billy. And I'm Joe. We are from the podcast Zero Supervision. We have episodes Monday through Friday. And we cover the latest in pop culture and current events with a comedic twist. We are not safe for work or for children. Seriously, you'll get fired. (laughs) You can follow us on Twitter at Zero Supervision and wherever podcasts are found. Thank you very much, everyone. Peace out. Bye.
we're back. And, um, before we get in, um, talk about um, props and everything, I just want to let you know this did win uh, Best uh, Picture. Yes, it did. It did win Best Director. Um, yes. Best Supporting Actor went to De Niro. Of course, Lee Strasberg and Michael Gazzo were both nominated. Three people nominated for supporting. Yes. Um, uh, Talia Shiner Connie was supporting the actress. Um, she just got nominated. Uh, one Best Adapted Screenplay, one Best Art Direction, and Best Original Dramatic Score. Oh, richly deserved. You and know, Rhoda. if you go yes. beyond the Oscars, it won a huge bunch of stuff. Um, I just want to touch up because it's not really, if you don't really know acting, I want to get into who um, Lee Stosberg is. Yeah. He was considered one of the founders of method acting. He got his school at New York. He taught... Um, if you want to demonstrate what method acting is, you draw on your experiences to give out a validated performance. It doesn't yes. look staged. Yes, if you if you want to cry, you think of something from your past, and yeah. you and you evoke that emotion at the you know here and now. And you also kind of, if that doesn't work, you kind of assign an animal to your performance as yes. well as Marlon Brando attended his school, and a lot of other people attended his school that are in the movie like um, Eli Wallach. Yep. And so um, with New Hollywood as this movie is, it's also presenting, incorporating Lee Strasberg in it as giving a validation for the New Hollywood of interjecting yep. method actors. Yeah, that's true. So, all right. And uh, when the people saw the film, they really didn't know what to make of it because unlike Godfather... Uh, no, is it a sequel, prequel? What that's exactly they, it. Yeah. They didn't really weren't sure because it seemed kind of disjointed to them. It does. I, it does. I do get a kind of. A, you have to put part two on it. Couldn't you have something else to it? Or right. Like, or the fall of Godfather or something like that. I, I get a cringe every time you do part two. It cheapens it. Yes. Of, it, and I think that people see that too. Oh, part two. What you know? Right. And it. Uh, uh, they had they a lot of critics when they first saw it. They thought that the impact was lessened by uh, right. They're not in New York anymore. Right, in Nevada or whatever, and trying to validate in Las Vegas. They're going to Cuba, validating. So. That's true. And the, the New York is gone. Yeah. And when you go from one story mm-hmm. to another story, it's like, well, wait a second. You know, the the contrast to that it it throws you off balance. It throws throws you off timing, and. I I believe, and I, I, I said it before, was with Richard Castellano playing Clemenza, I believe it would have gone for a smoother, more of a transitory yeah. story for both stories. And with the new character, Frank Pentangeli, unfortunately, as much as I love Frank Pentangeli, it was kind of a misstep now. And that was kind of a shame about it. Um, before you go into notes, I want to talk about uh, okay. Fredo, John Cazeal. Oh, yeah. This is another one of his outstanding performances. And I please forgive me. I always reference that he's in Dog Day Afternoon. Yep. He is in Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter, Godfather 1, 2. He's also in, and I, gosh, I forgot until I watched it again last week, The Conversation. Oh, my gosh, Gene yes. Gene Hackman, which is a fran- another Francis Ford. Another Ford, Francis Ford, Ford Coppola. Coppola with yeah. Gene Hackman. And John is in that as kind of, he's not very much in there. He's maybe for a couple scenes or whatever but he plays what uh, uh, gene hackman's counterpart right. well we thought yeah. he was gonna last for a heck of a lot longer than he did right and it's one of uh i think it's one of coppola's 
best. I think it's it's, it's one not, of the sleepers. It's not celebrated as yeah. one, but it's very. It's not an action film. At I would, you know, and I, I would recommend it, you know, highly. It's a great film. And I, I don't know how long we're gonna do this, but if we ever touch on another Coppola, one of the conversation has to be in there. I know everybody yeah. likes Apocalypse and all this stuff, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, he does a John? there again with uh, huh John yes yeah uh, again with Fredo and uh, Fredo's character comes more into play than it did before. If now yeah, because if you saw Godfather, he's does come into like the second act. Yeah, he's that's true, and he's only in a few scenes, it, mm-hmm. and he's only there to really convey that okay, he's kind of dim witted, you know, he's sweet, he's uh, but he. he He's in essence an innocent. Now, this there's a great scene of him trying to validate himself to Michael. Yes, he can't even get off the chair. He can't. No. No, he's he's there's stooped. This... Yeah, he's stooped. He's he's already browbeaten, and he's the older, he's the older son, and he realizes this. Yet even he himself, he he can't. He's, he can't get off the yeah. chair to defend himself, even though he's val- trying to like, come on, Michael, I'm the older than you, I'm smarter, but he can't get yeah. himself even off the chair to go eye to eye to him. It's and it's even, so pathetic. Yeah, it, he, you know, he's like, you know, I'm smart, like, you know, not like everybody says, like dumb, but I'm smart. You but know, but it's a wonderful, res- you know, you can just feel oh, him melting in his chair the more I he to try to defend himself. And right? every time I see it, I just my heart breaks for the guy because it's obvious he is in a business that he doesn't belong. I know he really doesn't, and. Uh, we're talking about the evisceration of not just Michael, but his soul. And what does Michael do? Yes, yes, he broke your heart. He broke your heart and he betrayed you. But did Fredo really understand the implications of that? Did he yeah. really have the emotional maturity? You see it right to... when he's supposed to be go fishing with his nephew and she oh, calls back my... the nephew and he kind of knows... That yeah, scene, right? He dips his head. He goes, "Okay, well, maybe we go fishing another." He can't yeah, even get the words out. Maybe we go fishing, fishing another. another time. And he can't even get it out completely. Right. And the kids already running, but he kind of knows. He, you know, and the thing is, you're hoping. I'm uh, talking about the crowd themselves, the audience. Yeah. You know, you're hoping that he will give Fredo a reprieve, and the mother dies, and you hear. You yeah. see Michael, and you see Fredo just looking totally dejected. Well, once mom, you know, you understand once yeah. mom goes, there's nothing, no thing to hold. Michael right. Back. And he comes up to Fredo, and he gives them this loving hug, and the music swells. Mm-hmm. And for a second, a second, you're actually thinking, oh, my God, there yeah. is total absolution in this room. <laughs> Especially yeah. that maybe the words that Connie said yeah. to Michael, which are so heartfelt, can't you forgive Fredo? I mean, I forgave you. Can't you forgive Fredo? And you see, you know, Fredo is just filled with this love, this this beta man saying, I, I give up all my strength to you. And then you see Michael look at El Neri. Yep. And you see just these dead eyes, like a shark's eyes. <laughs> Right? Like a doll's eyes, you know? And it is just, it's chilling. But you're still hoping. You don't know. You're still hoping that. And so what happens? You have, you have poor little Fredo. You have Fredo in a boat saying something as innocent and naive as uh, Hail Mary to get a fish (laughs) while Al Neri is behind him. 
and shoots him in the back. Talk about cowardly, but just the symbolism of that. Yeah. And Michael just kind of looking out a window. I mean, okay, if you didn't think that uh, Michael was, you know, totally gone at the uh, point of Connie's, you know, baby's yeah. baptism, he is, you hate it. Okay, you succeeded, Coppola. We hate him. We hate him. Even though he has some kind of, Michael projects this kind of disdain for criminality. Yeah. But somehow you have to do this. It's Almost true. he always does this point of you made me do this. It's a, yeah. He it, always it, has the disdain for the people. You made me have to do this. This, from, is why yeah. I'm, this is why I hate you. You made me do it. I didn't do it. You made me have to do this. You, you, yeah. And that's how he, that's, that's how, how he, he looks at that's it. That's how he justifies it. It justifies it. It's like, no, you killed your, you killed your father's son. Yeah. You know, you, your whole job, your whole point in the first film was, I am going to be here to protect my family. Yeah. And I'm going to be here to love my family. And that's why I'm the patriarch. And what do you do? You betray that and you kill a member of your family. Um, it's it's a story as old as the Bible, Cain and Abel, and it it's just um, it's bone chilling. Yeah. No, the other interesting shot I was talking about. We also talk about it as De Niro hunting the Don that he was going to assassinate, and you see him scaling yes. above the rooftop as the Don walks down the street. <laughs> oh, right? Talk about like a Rosini opera. Yeah, I love it. It yeah. is amazing how he looks down visually. He looks down at him mm-hmm. before he executes him, but then he also is high above him as he doesn't know yes. that he's you know his perpetuating doom. And he's all white, and he's all glorified, and he's just—it's a wonderful setup. You have the feast day of the Holy Mother, and so (laughs) while that is happening, you have this crowd, and you have this music playing, which is this just this joyous, um, just this joyous music and and dramatic music to um, to glorify the the Holy Mother. And as that's playing, it cuts to. Uh, Vito Corleone jumping from tenement to tenement like some sort of Bowery hero. Yes. And I, I loved it. Yeah. It, it's filmed in the sepia tones where it makes it look like the 1900s. And you see, you're trying to figure out what's he doing. And he is getting the pieces of this gun so he can assassinate Fanucci, who yeah. is uh, you, whom you hate. You know, yeah. and it goes with uh, Vito's "Why are you so loved and I am so hated?" Um, because Vito know who Vito knows who to kill and who not to kill. Oh yeah, he's gonna go back to Italy and yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, with the knife. Yeah. Fanucci bad, Fredo, he um, not really. He's an innocent. And then the other, there's two scenes with Lee Strasberg and Al Pacino. I like to, and I referenced one about Cuba, and we'll get mm-hmm. back to one in a second because I have another point. That's right. But there's one where they're at Hyman Roth. Lee Strasberg plays Hyman Roth. They're in his living room, and he gives a speech how much he loves baseball. Oh, yeah. Not at that as a purity child's game, but how easily you can corrupt it. Corrupt it, it. <laughs> yes. Well, Paul, yeah, with the... Uh, um, uh, uh, <laughs> with the White Sox game. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the Black Sox. But he loves yeah. baseball not because it's a childlike American invention. It's just how easily you can corrupt it. It's American yeah. as you can get. Yeah, with, with, yeah. <laughs> and it's... Oh, and that's a that's a beautiful scene too. And it's, then the other one I want to reference is of course him um, entertaining guests at Cuba. Yes, Lee Strasberg, Hyman Roth, and the, I guess they have a dinner with Batista. Yeah, they. Yeah, that's we, true. We talk about the Golden Fold. And yeah, there's there's these capitalists there, and they're kind of head honchos, and yeah. they're going to. Um, uh, and Michael's part is. 
casino and entertainment. Now, yeah. dessert is a big deal in this movie, and we talked about that. Um, Hyman Rod presents everybody with a cake that has yep. Cuba on it. And if you don't, if, this is heavily metaphorical in the movie, but in the movie, they give a slicing cake to all the, all, all, all the, everybody that's represented there. Yeah. yeah. So all the, <laughs> even Michael, it's almost like you giving, everybody gets a piece of Cuba. Yes. <laughs> in fact, the funny thing about it is they give a piece to Lee Strasberg goes, no, that's too big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. A little piece, a little piece. I only have a little piece of Cuba. Everybody else can have big pieces of Cuba. Yeah. I love the play of metaphor throughout that scene. It oh, is, yeah. it's, it's beautiful. The other thing is, of course, the, the last ending, the ending of the movie. If you don't want to know the ending, if you want to watch it, uh, we're going to talk about the ending here. But uh, cake was going to be presented to Vito. Oh, that's right. Yes, at the end yeah, where it's his birthday. Yes, after you didn't think that anything more could um, that Michael could do worse. You see him dejected, alone, very much alone. I mean, he is pretty much so, Ebenezer Scrooge now. So the last, the only really celebration of the movie you don't really get to see because you see Vito come through the door. Yep. And everybody's celebrating happy birthday to him. And it's the only jubilant thing in the movie. It is. We don't get to participate and Michael doesn't get to participate. Do you, do you realize, I, I'm, I wonder if you felt the same way, but when you see, all of a sudden you see in this kind of shadow memory and all of a sudden it comes on the screen yeah. as Michael is kind of contemplating, he's actually having a you know misgivings and thoughts about what if I did it differently. And that's right. what I thought, you know, at least Coppola, maybe I was too rough on the guy. I'm going to have him at least reflect on his life. And here he's sitting on a bench and you see Sonny, you see James Caan. And it's like, hey, everybody, everybody, you know, uh, you know, uh, and he's with, uh, Car- you know, Carlo, yeah. Ritzy. And uh, and it's, you notice and you realize it's the first time that Connie and Carlo ever meet, you know, and it was because of Sonny. And you see Fredo and you see every you see Tom Hagen with all his hair. <laughs> you know? Yes, that was a wonderful makeup job. Yep. Yeah. And it was just it was refreshing. It was like, oh, my God, the family's back, you yeah. know. And they're talking about Him Michael's will. future, yeah. you know, and whether he's going to go into World War II and, you know, and enlist and they're saps because, you know, they're fighting for strangers. You know, you only fight for your family. Well, that's the other, uh, the dance around it. But in, in yep. fact, you're going to go fight against Italy. Right. And you're an American. And this is the one, you're not fighting for family. This is why he had excited with the government and it separates them. Yeah. You're fighting visually, and yeah, yeah. that's right. You're fighting for strangers. You're not fighting for your blood. Your country ain't your blood. You remember that. Well, that sounds like pop talking. Your GD right, that's pop talking. You know, and then you got Fredo because Fredo's an innocent. Well, gee, Michael, yeah. I'm happy for you. Oh yeah, encourage him. You yeah. know, and a great scene, just a wonderful scene. Did you realize that James Khan actually got the same amount of money for that small little sliver of a scene that he did? You know, he got the same amount as he what? did in Godfather One. Yeah. What? It was the only way that he would do it. Yes. Yep. And wow. Brando, whom got a heck of a lot more for Godfather 1, said, well, okay, I want the same thing. Coppola said, okay, I'm going to write him out of the scene. <laughs> Which actually do? benefits yeah. everybody. It does. It benefits everybody. It's a We won't be able to talk 10 minutes about the ending if Brando That's true. Ready. And it, it worked beautifully. And, I mean, you see Ava Goda, you see Tessio, oh. which was great to see again. But it... Um, yeah, and it works out beautifully. And then after that scene, you just see Michael sitting alone by himself, contemplating. And yeah. it's a pivotal role in his life, a pitiful, pivotal time in his life. Should I, you know, enlist or stay with my family? 
And then you see him as he's older, dejected, um, doesn't really have a family, even though Mama Corleone says, you know, well, you can never lose your family. And Michael (laughs) says, well, times are changing. Times are changing. Uh, Which also I said the over umbrella of this movie is is transitions. Is times are changing. Always transitions. I always believe that. Transitions and isolation. It is not a happy film. <laughs> it's not. I no. loved it. I I loved the movie and I loved what it conveyed, but it's not a happy film. And a lot of um, a lot of critics didn't know what to make of it. There were mixed reviews when it first came out. Now the way we think of it is it's a classic, and it is. And some most critics, this is true, think of it better than The Godfather. Well, I know, and in many respects, it is. I understand. Yeah, I understand. Because there's so much going on. Yes. There's so much. What do we we even type touched on all the metaphors and stuff that you can it's, play visually. Yeah. It's it's a very much it's if you like cinema you have to watch. It. It's a very busy film. It's very yeah. ambitious. People think it's too busy and that Coppola failed. Others think no, he did not fail. It is a brilliant film. Yeah. I happen to be you know in the latter. I believe it's a brilliant film. Now the other thing we're talking about is um, Paramount made this movie, and it's the last couple of minutes. Paramount. Remember the very famous Paramount case. Um, um, the antitrust case. Yes, it's called the Paramount case because they were the biggest money. But it was basically a monopolizing movie companies in the late forties monopolizing. Not only were owning the movie studios, but the theaters to show it. That's right. And controlling all aspects of movie production. And it's called the Paramount case. And um, the antitrust said no theaters can individually own and distribution will be divided up and everything. And it's because of Paramount that this was brought up now you go to a movie theater it's not owned by the movie company they don't tech you dictate you when do you get to see it and all that stuff that's true and it's played a little bit in godfather too about monopolizing and antitrust yes, it is. <laughs> wow and yeah. it's yeah <laughs> another you know i i believe another uh, uh excellent point that coppola made you know and of course when you're making money i don't care if you're working on me <laughs> right yeah now yeah. between Godfather 2 and Godfather 3, yeah. there was uh, still a lot of things going on. Um, there was many, many, many yeah, years. That's true. Many years. And uh, there was a lot of talk about a Godfather 3. Everybody seemed to have a script. Uh, Stallone had a script. Travolta had a script. Um, they, um, it, everything would kind of come and go with it. Uh, Throughout the whole 80s, anybody yeah. who was prominent in the 80s somehow was tailored or linked up to a sequel being made it was always on the whispers everybody's yeah. ears and coppola really i mean he had made other movies like rumblefish and outsiders he said and, i wanted to do yeah. other stuff and Par- paramount kept on you know trying to coax him to do it he said well i tell you what i'm gonna i'll work on the you know for the first time for uh, godfather to be on tv and what they decided we're just not going to watch we're just not going to show the first film we're going to show the first film the second film we're going to put it in chronological order and we're going to add more footage to it, extra footage that we never shown before. Right. And that became the Godfather saga, which starts with, you know, yeah. the late 1800s of, you know, and you see the funeral. Um, and it's back in Sicily and Vito was a young boy. And it goes all the way through where Robert De Niro is in Little Italy, you know, in New York. And then it goes on to... The original Godfather. Yeah. And then The Godfather ends, and then you have the story two with Michael Corleone, and that's Godfather 2. And they did it 
in chronological order, like a miniseries in three nights. Wow. And it's, it, this was like 1977. And it's... On television. Yes. And it won huge acclaim. And, Back when we only had like five channels. <laughs> that's right. right yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Puzo, he was... Uh, he was really biting at the bit of wanting to do another Godfather, and he thought the best way to do it would be another novel. And he wrote The Sicilian. Sicilian, right, yes. And uh, what's interesting about that is he was hoping that Coppola would bite, like The Sicilian would turn into and morph into Godfather right, 3. This is the bait, and then you should cook it up. and right. Yeah. Just like. Cop- Just like the first one, right? Yeah. Coppola said, get bent. <laughs> and uh, But then there was another studio that said, oh, my God, this is a Puzo Mafia movie? I mean, story? We got to make a movie out of that. Well, who do we get? Well, there was one individual director that really wasn't doing much at the time, and that was Michael Cimino. And The Sicilian was starred... Um, Christopher Lambert from the High, from Highlander. Right, who's French. <laughs> yeah, who's French yeah. and plays the Sicilian. This is great. <laughs> oh, my God. And it is a disaster. It is worse, in my in my opinion, worse than Heaven's Gate. Why? I mean, because uh, at least with Heaven's Gate, it's, it's long right. and it's too long. We all agree with that, but there's some artistic merit. Sicilian has none of that. <laughs> It's just a soap opera with just a snooze fest, you know, and it's poorly acted. You can't say that about, um, you can't say that about Heaven's Gate. You know, poor pacing, fine, but the acting is top notch, you know, and it's, um, and actually made the Criterion Collection, which I think that uh, Heaven's Gate, like Godfather 2, eventually is, it's getting reevaluated again. So yeah. I know um, God before because next, ep- so next episode we're going to talk about <laughs> Godfather three and before we yes. go, can we talk about the freshman before we go? Absolutely. All right. Because yeah, that was made about nineteen ninety. That's that's right, and we're talking about films in. And I think and it was another between. enticement to do. A Godfather. But if you want to explain yes. to anybody what The Freshman is. The Freshman was uh, written by the same fellow who wrote The In-Laws. And right. uh, it dealt with a uh, fellow, uh, Matthew Broderick. Yep. And can I just kind of do a segue here? Right. Is it just me or when you watch The Freshman, doesn't Broderick remind you in certain instances, especially when he's dressed in the nines, doesn't he look like Pacino? Yes. My God, he does. I think he, he kind really of a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it kind of like a college kid. Yep. He gets stiffed. Yeah. And he ca- grabs his name. Uh, Bruno Kirby was <laughs> yeah, a wonderful. Yeah, Bruno actor. Kirby. Yeah. And then he goes, "Well, instead of throwing me in jail, why don't you work for my boss? Who yeah. happens to be <laughs> Marlon Brando, who looks just like you know? Well, because he is. And the thing is, it's. They're in a world where the movie The Godfather exists, and that's what makes right. it so hilarious. It's you like know? you jump into almost – there's certain things where it looks very late 80s or late yes. 90s. It's college. And all of a sudden, when he slips into doing work for Mario Mando, it jumps right into The Godfather. Oh, yeah. And he's playing Vito. It is right. Vito. He's a heavier Vito, but he's Vito. <laughs> you know, they got the blinds. <laughs> yep. and do that, and When they open up the blinds, it's like, what are you doing? Right oh, there. yeah. And I think Marlon does – with all his – 
kookiness does have a sense of humor about he, himself. He, I'm sure he ate it up. Yeah. Oh, he loved it. I yeah, really, yeah. I, you could tell he did. You can yeah. tell when uh, when the actors are having fun with a movie. You just you just can. And I think a bunch of theaters see it, but Ebert gave it the best comedy he's seen in years. Yes. He thought it was just hilarious. Uh, Ebert is very in tune with movies about movies. Yeah. Oh, my God. Talk about the dimensions, man. But, yeah, Marlon Brando, <laughs> he, he really did slap Ferris Bueller in the face. <laughs> <laughs> And if you see, if you see, if you see the freshman and the in-laws, uh, the in-laws with uh, um, Alan Arkin and uh, Peter Fogg, the writing is very similar. It's just always a poor schlub that gets into these crazy circumstances beyond his control. Yeah. You know, with uh, Broderick was the F- was the mafia. With in-laws, it was the CIA. You know, and 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 aspiring. It's it's just very very funny. <laughs> um. Before we go into Godfather 3 for the next episode, do, yeah. you, do you ever, because the big gap between 74 and what, 1992? It's set in well, 1980. 19, it was filmed in Godfather. 90, 1990. Yeah. It came 74 out 1990. to 90, that's, that's a huge right. gap of movies. Oh, yeah. And a lot but of, it's set in 1980. Yeah. A lot of, do you ever think we would get Untouchables without Godfather movie? I know this Brian DePaul with its mid-80s, but do you think we, we would ever have one of those? I don't think so. That's yeah. a good question. That's an excellent question. And I think it was De Palma's film that revived it. And um, it, I, I think that's what it was. I yeah. And th- whatever Paramount offered uh, Francis, Francis said, well, okay. And uh, I really look forward to talking about Godfather 3. I, I really do. I know you are. Yeah. I, got, I got a couple <laughs> of questions. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that's it for the podcast. Uh, we're gonna probably a uh, couple weeks from now we'll finish our saga for Godfather Three. Dan, you want to send us out? Okay, um, it's over. These empty spaces tell us to go. Oh